Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Joe time, a-holes. I wonder where a guy in everyday Joe like myself can find a little action. Go! Blackhawks fans around the world, you've endured 49 years of frustration. Lord Stanley's new address is Sweet Home Chicago. For the second time in four seasons, the Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. For the third time in six seasons, it's one goal achieved. The Chicago Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup. Hawks win! Blackhawk and Hassel Tribe. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, 2017. Thanks for downloading and listening to this Puck and Hassel Shoutcast, episode 93, the Darren Poopa episode. <laughs> I, just, I just needed an excuse to say Poopa. <laughs> <laughs> it won't say that in the, in, in the description, but I had to, you know, how can I pass Poopa up? Uh-huh. So, larval. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I am the gatekeeper, the purveyor of this grand mess, and I'm joined here by my good friend and unnamed source from hockeybuzz.com, Double J John Jacob. Hello, sir. What's happening, my friend? My know. friend. Seven days or seven days after our previous podcast, people are going to get really used to hearing our voices in their ears. Oh, <laughs> let's hope not too used to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you for last week. Uh, we had Mark Grand on from the Sinbin Fuel account. Uh, I mean, it, that was a really good podcast. I listened back to it. and uh, Oh, he, yeah. And, and oddly enough, today we get a story from Scott Powers about the odd development of Calendelia. And that, the real deals, baby. Yep, that Mark from last week brought up, you know. So uh, yeah. I tried to throw him a little... Uh, Throw a little shout out his way that, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for that insight last week. And, uh, you know, you know Mark is, uh, Mark's got a good, good, uh, voice for podcasts and, uh, he's got, uh, he's got a nice knowledge base. I think he's headed for big things. Yeah. Yes. As are a lot of people, I think in the, in the, in the near future. Yes. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Clumsy foreshadowing. Clumsy. Yeah. Very clumsy. We are very clumsy. So. Yes, we're clumsy. <laughs> yeah, so everyone Absolutely. keep your eyes peeled. So, um, without ado, um, I know uh, we tweeted this out and we had people uh, ask questions and stuff, but uh, we uh, interviewed Craig Custance from the Athletic Detroit. So, um, 
I want to get right into that and uh, play the interview, and then we'll get back into some Blackhawk stuff. So here goes. And today on the line, we our guest is the editor-in-chief from The Athletic Detroit and the host of the Full 60 podcast, Craig Custins. Hello, sir. How's it going? Good. Good, my friend. Uh, I just awesome. actually found your Full 60 podcast this week, so that's my <sighs> new thing that I added to the uh I was surprised you added it in there. So we're only two episodes in, so yeah, it's, the playlist. Uh, it's 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 a very new baby, but it's been a lot of fun to do so far. Like if I'm actually when I'm done with this, I'm going to edit some of the audio on episode three, um, and they it's it's you know it's an hour long, right. Obviously, by the name of the title, and it's really it really is an opportunity to dive into some in depth stuff with people around the game. So it's been great. Yeah, I listened to the one you did with cool. Russo. It was really good. I mean, uh, I learned a lot yeah. about the guy. You know. It was really interesting. He's he's an interesting cat, and, and like Mike is, uh, he's an easy interview. Just you throw him a, a question, and then I would sit back and drink coffee for twenty minutes and <laughs> let him talk. So as far as podcast hosting went, that was pretty easy. Yeah, I was pretty. Uh, uh, the the stories of him like uh, hanging out at the airport waiting for the planes to land, <laughs> really, that was really good. So if uh, if any any of you out there go download that podcast, it's really good. Oh, it was fun. It was yeah. great. And, you know, the funny thing was we were both at different airports unknowingly. Or maybe we must have known at the time because I'm sure we were both live tweeting, right, you right. know, as planes were landing. And it was uh, – I feel like we haven't had a good chase like that in free agency in a while. It's, it's, <laughs> been, it's been a few years. We're due one of those. Yeah, there, there, aren't, there aren't a whole lot of big – you know, they keep locking up all these free agents real early, yeah. long-term contracts, so – yeah, it's been an issue. I've already started kind of looking ahead at some of the other, I mean, not to get really sidetracked before we get going, but yeah. some of the other classes. And and I, mean, I guess you can always say this when you look down the path, like you can always say, oh, it's going to be great in two years and then a million people sign. But like in terms of defensemen, yeah. if some of these guys decide not to sign, I mean, there's there's Drew Doughty and Oliver Ekman Larson and Eric Carlson. And all it's going to take is one of those guys to shake free and, and we'll have another full on media stock going on for that. Oh well, yeah, that's kind of like it started the ball rolling with the the college free agents, where they they kind of waited out their time and then went to free agency and like Will Butcher and stuff. Yeah. Once one starts doing it, then the other guys are like, "Eh, here we go." Yeah. So yeah, that started a trend. Yeah. Oh, I remember Mike Riley speaking of Chicago. I remember covering yeah. a playoff series, and he was in a. I think he was in a suite with Stan Bowman. Maybe you guys remember that. Like yeah. he was he was the big college free agent that year, and. He, he was walking away from Columbus and it's funny, those guys. And then, you know, Mike Riley's, you know, he's kind of this borderline NHL player now, but yeah. at the time it was like this huge deal that he was in Chicago. He was, uh, he was playing for Minnesota the other yeah. day when they played the Hawks. Riley. Yeah. yeah. It didn't do much, but he was on, he was on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we had our own with uh, the Hayes brother. So that's right. Yeah. And yeah. Drew LeBlanc. Remember, remember him? Yeah. Oh God. Drew LeBlanc. <laughs> so well we have you on the line uh i don't want to skip by it because this is the the big thing is your is your book behind the bench inside the minds of hockey's greatest coaches now i own a copy i have had the time to read it yet because i've got so much stuff going on but um from what i've been able to you know skim through it i mean this is a really interesting uh thing you did here where you, you, you grabbed all these coaches and you, you just sat and you watched a game with them. Is that, is that yeah, what it was? That was, yeah. I mean, that was the concept and, and really like this book was an excuse to do that more than anything. I'm yeah. like, boy, if I can convince these guys to sit down and do this, 
even if I don't sell a copy, like I, if I just put together a bunch of gobbledygook that nobody reads, um, it would, it would have been an unbelievable experience. And, and, um, and you know, these, these guys were so gracious with their time and so, so good and kind of animated in their storytelling mm. or you talking about leadership or talking about, uh, you know, John Tortorella's case, kind of his evolution as a coach and some of these conversations that you can have when it's because it is the middle of the summer and you're kind of you know you're locked down for a few hours of hanging out and you're in the comfort of in some cases their living room or in Joel Quenville's case his office at the United Center mm -hmm. or you know Todd McClellan we did at his summer home in Kelowna um, it was just being in that environment I think brought out um, a pretty you know pretty high comfort level where we just had these conversations and in some cases, like a lot of the chapters, you know, just almost like transcription, like it's a conversation reader just to feel like they were there listening. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that is really interesting. Like that's something where you want to be a fly on the wall to just sit there yeah. and watch what's going on. Cause there's, you know, people like Joe Quenville, like he, he just has a commanding personality. Like he commands respect and, and mm -hmm. he's just like that kind of older, wiser uncle kind of thing. And Joel is interesting because Joel, as you guys know, I mean, doesn't typically do a ton of media outside the the very arranged. Right. And right. even then, like, it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen it where there's kind of the Joel Quenville code. And if yep. he says a guy was all right, that means right. he was horrible. Like, I don't even, you know, what you guys probably know better than I do, right? Like, whatever. Well, we were talking about that today with Seabrook, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That later in the podcast, yeah. So keep going, sorry. No, so so you, I mean, you guys are so. I mean, w you know, the, we don't always get to see the Joel Quenville that when you talk to former players that played for him right. or former teammates, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is hilarious!" And you know, there's nobody better to go to a you know, horse race with. Or I mean, that would have been a better chapter if I had yeah. gone to a horse race with him. Now that I mentioned it. So, um, so Craig, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I wanted to ask you a question though about Ken Hitchcock because I had the opportunity a couple of decades ago to do some work with him um some advertising work and you know he has a persona in hockey where he's known as being old school hard on the players kind of a, a rough gruff western canadian guy but I, I have to tell you when, when i met him and worked with him on a couple of occasions i really found him to be a very soft-spoken and kind of gentle guy and i i just thought that was really interesting and i kind of wanted to ask you about that i mean and you're kind of touched on that with q a little bit it feels like as far as their they're, you know, when you get them in person in an unguarded moment um, and the guard comes down, you know, are, is the personality kind of different than the hockey persona? Yeah, I think that in a lot of these cases they were. Now, there's some crack chapters. Just he would be. I mean, he's super intense. And I was laughing, like, we're watching this game, we're watching the Olympics, and he's taking notes like he's watching it for the first time. And, you know, and he's like, okay, I can run this back and, and let's watch this again. Okay, great. I've got a clip here I can show because. He was prepping for the World Cup at the time. This was last summer. And so he was, you know, he's instead of like, you know, just kicking back and enjoying a summer day in July, you know, watching this old glory moment, it was, how can I learn from this? He was super intense. Whereas, yeah, Ken Hitchcock is, um, I think with us and media, fans or whoever, I think we see a different Ken Hitchcock than, than his players see. I mean, he is, he is demanding and, and, um, he was, I think Ken Hitchcock on some level, and this is really early on in the book, is, was part of the genesis behind it. Because when I was first starting out in hockey as a writer, he was co he was coaching the Blue Jackets. And 
And, you know, we kind of did the scrum and then he hung out and chatted with us for a long Mm -hmm. time. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, boy, I learned more in that 10 minute window than I Mm -hmm. have in 6 million press conferences. And I remember making that comment to Aaron Portsline, uh, who was covering (laughs) the team for the the Columbus paper. And and Porty goes, oh yeah, sometimes he'll bring, you know, local media in and they'll watch film together. And like, I was like, holy cow, what a cool idea. And I think that like, I'm sure on some level, you know, sparked an idea in the back of my brain that took 10 years to germinate. But um, yeah, I think, I think, I think the, the, a lot of times the the guy behind closed doors is different than the guy at the public persona. And I, I really hope there's moments in this book where I I think readers see the, the kind of the, the coach for the the person that they are. That's great, man. That is so cool. Now I don't want you to like give anything away, but you got. Do you have any <laughs> any cool like uh, behind the scenes things about Quenville specifically? Uh, well, so Joel, it was interesting, and I'm thankful for this. Every coach kind of took on their own personality um, and, and took a, their chapter in a different direction. So I didn't want to like force it and have it be uh, like this X's and O's book, maybe from start to finish, or all leadership or whatever. It, I basically let the coaches go down the path, you know, that they wanted to go down, and and we we dove into it. And Joel Quenville was certainly unique in his approach because we turned on that film and it was, uh, you know, the 2010 clincher against the Philadelphia Flyers game mm-hmm. six in Philly. And, and he, he, it goes on and it's like, he's, he's behind the bench in that moment. Like it was whatever it was, a couple hours of Joel Quenville yelling at players, like, come on, buff, <laughs> and like complaining about dropping f-bombs about the calls oh you gotta be kidding me and and like i'm just i'm dying because i'm like you know some coaches like the game would be on and we're just telling and he's yelling at the screen it was so entertaining for me to see awesome. this guy that we see do the same thing um and he's argumentative and all that and, and we get to see that animated joe quenville and here we are in his office years later and it's almost like he's thinking he can impact the score of the game somehow or you know and <laughs> But in terms of like stories, I, there was a moment, um, and I think one of the local uh, blogs in Chicago picked this up later out of the book after reading the book. But there was a moment where Joel Quenville says, hey, he goes, I fast forward to the point where Johnny gets hurt in this game. And I'm like, man, I, I was there. I don't remember that moment at all. I'm, I don't remember any time with Jonathan Taves. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm like, I, yeah, Jonathan Taves doesn't get hurt in this this game, Joel. And He's like, oh yeah, he does. He he said, in fact, he probably wouldn't have been able to play Game Seven. And and wow. He's, and he says, there's, you know, we started throwing him out there in shifts just as a decoy, so the Flyers had no idea how hurt he really was. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then we started looking for it, and we're, and there was a point where the Flyers score a goal, and he's on the ice. And I think somebody in the crease, like I forget who it was now, ends up on his knee, and, and he mess, he hurts his knee, and he's like, that's that's it right there. Stop the tape, and and. Uh, and we're watching it, and then he's like, "Okay, let's see when he comes out again." And we're kind of start we're tracking shifts at this time, and he sends you know John Madden out for a face off. He's like, "Okay, that would have been Taves normally, but this is you know he's he's hurt." Wow. Yeah, and it was just like stuff that I never would have known. You know, we're in the press box watching. We had no idea. You know, he he was you know fooling the Flyers and us, and and yeah. you know who knows who knows if Jonathan Taves would have played Game Seven. Who he probably would have gotten enough painkillers to make it happen but it yeah. was a neat moment that i had no idea yeah that is great that's uh that's a cool insight in on the game because you can only guess sometimes you know there's a couple times where the goalie will fall a certain way and i'll look at him and i'm like based on 
being a goalie myself, it looks like he fell a little awkward. It looks like he's getting up a little slow. He may be a little hurt there, but you're only guessing. So, you know, you never really know. Yeah. And, and so what I did with a lot of these was I would follow up with players that were, you know, part of those moments. And I remember seeing Patrick Sharp a few months later, he came through town and I'm like, Hey, I'm like, do you remember this? Where Jonathan Taves gets hurt. He goes, he goes, yeah, we, none of us knew at the time. And he goes, it wasn't until I saw him would have been like, you know, a month later in the mm-hmm. summer and he still had a limp and he's like, Oh yeah. He goes, it was pretty, it was pretty serious. And I'm like, wow. Wow. That's, no idea. That is, yeah. that's great. I think I also heard you talking about Tortorella too on maybe the other podcast, uh, just uh, talking about his personality a little bit on there. Yeah, yeah, John was fascinating because so a lot of these guys, I would say maybe fifty to seventy-five percent of them, I had you know a, a good enough relationship where we were comfortable with each other and we knew each other. Um, there was only a few coaches where I didn't know him really at all, and Joel I only knew from press conferences. Like you know, there's kind of a barrier there. Mm-hmm. And John Tortorella was another one where I, I went in a little bit nervous because the only John Tortorella I knew was the guy that, you know, was pretty combative in media. Yeah. And we'd see him after games. And if you didn't ask the right question, you got shot down. And I'm like, oh, man, how, you know, what is this three hour session going to be like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but I kind of got a sense it was going to be okay because we're texting back and forth and we're trying to set up a time. And, and it was actually his suggestion to bring in Mike Sullivan because I was trying to do both of them. And he's like, well, let's do them at the same time and we'll go back to back. And I'm like, because they're such good friends. And I'm like, holy cow, this is a great idea. Yeah. And yeah, and so we ended up doing them back and back. And it became a fascinating thing because um, Mike Sullivan, this he was just coming off winning a, a cup with Pittsburgh. So I think of all the coaches, he was probably the most guarded in his evaluation of players. Like John Tortorella mm-hmm. was so far removed from that Lightning team. I think yeah. he, you know, I, he probably felt more comfortable sharing stories from the, the dressing room. Whereas right. Mike Sullivan, you know, he was still very kind of protective of his players and all that. And so he would say something about Sidney Crosby, and John Tortorella is sitting at the table with us, and John would just pipe in and be like, you know, Mike can't say this, but here's here's what we all thought of Sid, you know, a few years ago. I'm like, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Go by all means, jump in. Yeah, it was and, great. And that's a nice segue to Sid because Sid actually did the forward for your book, so. Yeah, that was um, that was. I was really excited he was able to do that. That's because that's cool. you know, as a when you're doing a book, this is my first book, so uh, uh-huh. this was all kind of uh, new territory for me, and uh-huh. I'd never been through this process. And so they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, try to get somebody prominent to do the forward that you know that helps you know, whatever purchases and uh-huh. and uh, and that you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to get another coach, although that would have been fine. It would have been good, um, but. I noticed, you know, Sid was a prominent player in four of the 10 chapters because, you know, I did the two Penguins Cups with Sullivan and Dan Bilesma mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Babcock. And, you know, obviously Sid scored that gold in the goal in the 2010 game. Right. And then uh, did a World Championships game with Todd McClellan, which was Sid's um, triple gold club when he won the World Championships. So I'm like, OK, I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the pie in the sky idea. And I, I pitched it to his camp at CAA and they're. You know, I kind of told him the concept, and he thought it was a cool idea, and and here we are. It was it turned out great. Very cool. Hey, Craig. Um, so I I got I had to ask this question, and and you know I have not read the book either, and I I apologize for that. I am going to read it because this is like fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but it's you know I these, some of these guys, especially when you talk about Tortorella, Quenville, but I think it probably applies across the board. These are all highly competitive individuals, right? Yeah, for sure. 
so as far as that goes, did you get any sense from from any of these guys or all of these guys or, or none of these guys how they view the their their peers? You know, who like yeah, you know, Babcock and Quenville seem to have always seemed to me to have a very respectful almost a rivalry because they they've faced off in big series before, you know, when when uh uh you know, Babs was coaching in Detroit and and um you know, Q was coaching in Chicago and the two teams were kind of, you know, seven, eight years ago, we're kind of going head to head. So did you get a sense from these guys that how they feel about their peers and who they hold in high esteem and, and why? Yeah, maybe not who they hold in high esteem. But what I will say is there's um, definite, there's a definite coaching fraternity that these guys belong to, right? It's, it's a tight knit club. I think on some level that helped the cause because once I had a few kind of high profile coaches agree to do this, right. then it was like, well, you know, I've got, like Babcock and what, you know, whatever, I think that helps pitch it to a guy like Joel Quenville who may not know me from anybody. And so I think that, you know, there's definitely a, a fraternity. Um, it, you know, one of the other, I forget which coach talked about, but the, you know, there's so much sharing within the coaching community too. Like these guys all do, you know, around the draft, there's this huge coaching conference and they're, you know, they go up on stage and they share PK strategies and here's what, here's what worked for us this year. And which, you know, you, really, when you think about it, it's like, imagine if we did that in any other business where we're giving up, you know, trade secrets to, to the guy that you're trying to beat in three months. But like, that's, I mean, these guys are almost protective of each other. And, and um, the, where I, where I found, you know, the, I guess there's a limitation to that because I, I remember there's a point in the John Tortorella chapter where I, I said, you know, I kind of lumped him in. I said, yeah, you, you know, you've been compared to Mike Keenan or Bob Hartley you know, some of these really demanding coaches mm. and John did not like that. Like he, he was like, stop, like I, I'm not, <laughs> you know, and I don't think he was putting down those guys. And he's cause he said, those guys don't want to be compared to John Tortorella, you know, we're all our own guy. So I think there's, there's probably limitations. Like these guys are all, you know, on some level they, they want to share with each other, but I think each of them wants to carve out their own place in the game. Or at least that's mm. a sense I got. Mm. Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I don't want to shift gears too much, but um, we did have a question that I wanted to kind of get in there for you. Yeah, um, sure. And it's kind of more of a general thing. It was something that came out recently. And uh, basically the, the, the question was, um, what do you think of the latest comments from Ken Dryden about the, uh, regarding the CTE and the concussion prevention that he was mentioning uh, a couple days ago? Yeah, so I've, I've held off on reading all of that because I'm like, I've got to dive into this because I'm sure we're going to, I'll be weighing in on it at some yeah, point. Right. So I am not. So if you want to tell me what he said exactly, I'm like, this is on my list, like in very short order to dive into. I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Yeah. I, I basically think he just said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing cause I didn't read the entire article, but it was something about, you know, they need to penalize for any hit to the head whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's basically what it came down to. Um, That's a tough one. I, I, I don't, yeah. Be, having seen um, the results that that a former mm. players now, I mean, we mm. I've talked to agents where they're like, my client calls me, you know, two or three times a day, and he's asking for directions home. Wow, and you know, and these guys can't find their car keys, and their lives are miserable. And, yeah, and and so I have a really hard time saying, ah, you know, that's fine because because I think uh, you know hockey's a tough sport, so. I think, may, you know, I, I am certainly not against anything that shifts 
the pendulum even more in the favor of safety. I, I like hockey. You're playing on ice and you're you're flying, and I think the game yeah. is faster than ever. So yeah. you're never going to be completely safe. Um, but like, I turned on fighting. It was Steve Eisenman who said, said it to me. He's like, I, I was kind of just polling GMs at the time about fighting, and and you know this was kind of at the height of the concussion thing. I said, well, what do you you know where are you at on fighting, Steve? And as a guy who I'm sure was protected by Bob Probert and Joey Kosher, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he said. Look, we're trying to get concussions out of the game, and we're it's okay. We, we currently allow guys to hit each other in the head. He's like, that doesn't that doesn't add up to me. And I'm like, oh, it was like so simple. I'm like, here we are debating this a million different ways, and you got to protect the star. And here was one of the stars of his era saying, you know, we're, we think it's okay to allow guy. You know, it's, it's it just doesn't add up, and it kind of changed my perspective. And so I'm probably the same way. It's like, look, if we can protect these players' long term health, uh, you know. I'm willing to give up that aspect of the game. You know, I thought what I thought was interesting was uh, after Bob Probert died, they did um, an analysis of his brain and, and he, his brain was essentially mine. Um, yeah. He had taken, I think they said something like 13 concussions and, you know, Bob definitely won more fights than he lost. For and, sure. Uh, you know, it's it. Cause I personally, I think, I think, I think the fighting is obviously part of it, but, Fighting has become such a really marginal part of the game at this point anymore. It seems to me like it, it's it's the actual headshots in the course of the game on on, on dirty hits um, or just hits to the head that, it, that is you know inflicting a lot of the damage and real severe damage. I mean, because to your point earlier, you know the game's faster than ever, faster than ever. The the, the space space age equipment is almost weaponized yeah, in terms of its, of its hardness, sure. and then these guys these guys are bigger than ever and. You know, it it seems like we're not seeing as many of the you know really really nasty hits where the guys are leaving their feet anymore and launching into guys. Um, Ed Olchek had an interesting theory that he threw out a couple of years ago, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later in the podcast. Um, with you know that's wonderful news, but um, you know his his thinking was that if they actually adjudicated to where the player cannot hit and raise his arm his arms away from his body. And if you think about that, that really takes a lot of those really dirty headshots out of it in terms of the elbow being raised um, and possibly mm-hmm. even you know, the player leaving his feet. Because um, yeah, I, I, think, no, I don't see how you're going to take – yeah, and I don't see how you're going to take hitting out of hockey. I don't know how you do that. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort of you know, adjudicate this if they, if they try. For sure. And then, I mean, there's always the argument. I mean, when the guy's, you know, reaching out and his head is way low, I mean, it, you know, what do you do then? Yeah. Is it yeah. is it completely on the Otis? Is there any, you know, uh, responsibility in the puck carrier or the, the guy being hit? And um, I, I mean, I, I that's the challenge. There's so many gray areas, though. But I think ultimately, like you look at what the NFL has done in terms of protecting its stars and making it, you know, certainly more of a passing league than it used to be. And, I, you know, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Like, I think I'm thrilled that the NHL is moving more towards skill and protecting its star players and opening it up for them because I think that's when the game's at its best. And I'm I'm happy to see anything that moves in that direction. Yeah, and I think it's going to draw more fans in the future too. You know, the people will adjust. People will, you know, get over the, uh, you know, the old school caveman fighting thing. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm. I think John so. I, like, who's who's complaining about there's no like I, I haven't heard a ton of complaining that there's not a million fights every game. Have you guys? No, not really. No. I mean, you hear it. You hear it. You're always going to hear the meatheads. You know, every sure. every bit. 
you know, every little bit, but, um, you know, like John and I are both, you know, older gentlemen, you know, I'm in my <laughs> mid forties and John's a little slightly older than me. And we remember the eighties, you know, Slow. bench clearing sure. brawls and, you know, the St. Valentine's day massacre and, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm fine without, you know, huge bench clearing brawls. I don't, you know, I, I could enjoy a fight every now and then, but I mean, look what just what we had the other night with John Hayden busting the face up of, uh, Felino, mm-hmm. you know, with one punch. What I, what I do find interesting, Craig, and I don't, I don't know if, if this has been your experience, but what, what I hear from people in the game, um, and I probably don't talk to as many people in the game daily as you do, but I, I do a little bit. And what I hear is, is that the notion of protection and deterrence is, is still there. Um, right. and, and it has to do with guys running your star players, you know, when when uh, Tommy Wingles and Lance Balma are playing regular shifts with Patrick Kane, a lot of the fans start you know start wondering if Quenville's lost his mind. And you know my response to that is there's a reason those guys are playing with Kane, and sure. it's probably because somebody has taken a run at him or has sent a message or there's some chirping going on. And uh, you know it's just it's really interesting. I mean that 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 element is still there in the game, and and the question is is how they're gonna ultimately adjudicate hitting and and you know what they call taking runs at guys um and you know quite honestly yeah i mean i think especially as far as the skill player they've just got to apply it evenly and and rigorously you know because yeah they've had the opportunity and haven't done it that's my biggest criticism so if you're going to remove the enforcers and 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 i agree with you like that there needs to be some deterrent right from kind of the i guess the the term the players will use is rats right like the guys have just taken the cheap shots and I think where the league has dropped the ball is in kind of lax suspensions. It seemed like for a while there, especially when Brendan Shanahan was in charge of discipline, it was going down the, you were going down the path where, okay, if something happened, there was some severe, there was some teeth, right? Right. And so I mean, you can't take away the enforcers and then also not, there's gotta be some deterrent, right? And right. you would, you would think the league would, would be the one to then say, okay, look, we, we want to get fighting out of the game. We want to protect the players more. We realize there there are guys that are going to take liberties now on Patrick Kane, so we're going to play the role in, in the league offices, and I don't think they've done a good job of that. Yeah, yeah, the league offices been kind of in a state of flux now that, that like this past year they made a bunch of changes and stuff. And you're right though, Shanny was real good about you know putting the hammer down on those guys, and it kind of got For a little sure. lax the last couple of years. And what happened to those videos? Do we have? I love like the Shanahan explanation yeah. Yeah. and he, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, like I said, we don't want to, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I think we, uh, I think we covered this book pretty well. Um, yeah. Once again, it's behind the bench inside the minds of hockey's greatest coaches. You it came out on October 1st and uh, you can get it on Amazon or you said uh, anywhere books are sold and you can get the digital copy also. If you have yeah. like a Kindle or something, there's Kindle, Kindle and all that. Yeah. Um, and then I would plug while I'm just here plugging no, stuff. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, the athletic, the plug athletic, away. You know, we're in. We're. I'm running the Detroit operation of the athletics, still doing some kind of national hockey coverage. But you know, Chicago, especially Scott Powers, I love what he does on the Blackhawks in terms of prospect work and his coverage of the team. Yeah, you know, he's a very creative guy and and finds a way to do it differently and. And if you're a hockey fan, I would also, I mean, if you're not subscribing to The Athletic, there's so much good stuff on there. I'm, I'm, I feel like can genuinely sell it and, and feel proud about what we're doing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, congratulations. Good on... guy. He's going 
congratulations ahead. on getting with the uh, the athletic. I want I wanted to tell you that, and uh, you know, and it's funny you bring up Scotty Powers because I think you know, in, in maybe a couple of podcasts we might have him on one yep. of ours. So, yep, yeah, you should. He's a great dude, man, yeah. and he knows that team inside and out. Yeah. I think we're going to get Porchline on too at some point. Oh, good, nice. Yeah. So we're we'll working our way around. Yeah, he's my, he's my neighbor here in Columbus, so we're going to work on him too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So all right. So um, thanks a lot, Craig, and uh, buy the book. <laughs> buy the book and read it. It seem it from what I've seen of it, it looks really good, and I ha- and I own it, and I'm going to read it cover to cover. So thanks a lot, Craig, oh. for your time. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I really appreciate thanks, it. Craig. Yeah. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks. thanks. Take care, guys. Thanks. All right, and thank you to Craig for uh, spending a half hour of his Tuesday night with us. Uh, that was really good stuff. Uh, I really, that was. We could, I think we could have sat and talked to him for like an hour and a half, but uh, I didn't want to yeah. take up too you much know, of his time. Just go, go, go ahead. So just to reiterate, though, his his book. I mean, I, I was I was telling Gate earlier. I I read a lot of hockey books, and I have not read Craig's book. I'm gonna read it. And, you know, it's just in terms of, under, you know, knowing the backstory, what's going on um, behind the scenes and in the dressing rooms and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the breakdown rooms and, and practices, et cetera. I mean, a book like that is just invaluable. And I just I recommend everybody grab it, read it. It's, it's uh, well worth it. I mean, if for nothing else, the Joe Quenville chapter has to be great, you know. <laughs> and for all the, you know, for all the uh, Fairweather fans or whatever you want to call them. I mean, that's, that's, that's all, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, we, we do have some Blackhawks stuff to talk about. I didn't want to bog Craig down with our Blackhawks talk cause he's a Detroit boy. So, um, I'll just kind of get right into what, uh, what happened. Uh, you know, we, we had last week where we had a bunch of games like right in a row. And then of course now the Blackhawks have slowed down. Games have spread out a little bit. But we had the two games, which the first one was the uh, the five two loss to the Wild, and then the next one was uh, they beat the Preds two to one in overtime. Um, neither one was actually really all that great of a game. Uh, Agreed. They were in the Wild game until uh, you know that, that quote unquote, and I'm doing the air quotes, uh, <laughs> questionable call that offsides call, um, and then. Joel Quenville just flipped his fucking lid. I mean, sorry, it's just, there's no two ways about it. Uh, he pulls his goalie with over four minutes to go in the game, down three to one. Uh, I mean, he pulls his goalie with four minutes to go. Within 20 seconds, they score an empty net goal. They're down four to one. And, uh, you know, the game's just gone out of hand from there. I mean, there, there was no need. I, 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 I yelled with, you know, uh, Patrick and, and, and the other guys about it over and over again, pulling the goalie with over four minutes to go in the game is the white flag. It's, I have no answers. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you basically just given up and you've got no other, you, you feel you have no other choices. And I don't, and I didn't necessarily see, I mean, the game wasn't great, but I didn't see it that way. Yeah. And it so basically I'm not going to blame Q because yeah. I do agree that he just, he basically went just completely nuclear. But you know what? I mean, as I understand it, the rule as far as the defender uh, bringing the puck back into their zone is actually that the language says it, it involves carrying the puck back into their zone. That's what negates the offsides. Seabrook was not carrying the puck by grazing the puck with his skate while he's actually sliding back toward the defensive zone. 
Right. He just it just hit so, him kind of. So 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 if I so if I'm Q and I'm I'm watching these three officials gather together and waste seven minutes of everybody's lives to make a determination based upon an inaccurate interpretation of the league's own rules. I'm, I, I think I would blow a, I, I would blow a gasket, too. I mean, it, it, come on. And, and the problem is with the NHL. And you know what? I, if, it, if the call had gone the other way, eh, I probably wouldn't be quite as upset. But still, guys, the, the problem, if, if you want to empower the officials on the ice, make sure that they are really interpreting the rule book as it's supposed to be interpreted. And as far as the, the the reading of the rule book that I saw the following day, they just they they blew it completely. And it's so it's and then to make matters worse, the official won't go over and talk to Quenville. Yeah, because he doesn't want to hear about it. I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like at first, I was like, whatever that I, I tweeted out that uh, whatever their explanation was is bullshit, because. Yeah. And and the, even the more I looked, the more I looked at it, and like, oh, it's you know the defender carry the carry defender did not carry the puck. It, it basically just ricocheted off of him. He didn't carry anything. Right. He fell down, and it ricocheted off of his skate. And, so uh, the larger issue, okay, so the game's over. They lost. You know, and yeah. Quite honestly, they didn't play that well in that game. So you know, that's the other issue. And so take all that taken together, but. How many times do you get these decisions back from the quote unquote war room that just defy logic? It's it's like, you know, guys, if you're going to stop the game to to get the call right, then get the call right. That, that it's just otherwise it's like the WWE of, of, of pro sports, of real sports. Yeah, it's just the officiating is almost a joke. Well, and, yeah, you know, it, it, the reason the whole on the make good calls and the whole reason they were throwing they throw it to the war room is they're like, well, they don't they don't for whatever reason, they don't trust that on those little tiny screens, the refs can do it themselves. So they have like one place where everyone's got the big TVs and multiple looks at it and all this stuff. And then they still come back and do the same thing, yeah. which doesn't make it any better. It just, yeah, it's it just prolongs everything. guys. They, they, they really have to get the orchestration of this down and understand the message that it sends to fans when it's like the Keystone cops. And, and I'm, I don't mean to be, you know what? Cause it's really hard to referee a hockey game. It's a, it is the fastest game in the world, and it's really hard to referee a hockey game. But the, but when you've got the the benefit of instant replay and stop action, um, and, and you're just mi- missing the call because you're not interpreting the rule book right. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see why Quenville was angry. And, I, and my personal belief is that ref didn't go over to tell him because they weren't sure if they'd made the right call. That's why I think he didn't go over and tell him. Uh, well, you, know, you know me. I'm always, I'm always seeing <laughs> I'm always seeing some conspiracy in everything, but still, that's what I think. Well, I mean, they yeah, they may have not felt comfortable with the ruling they got from the war room, yeah. um, and then they're like, "Oh God, we're gonna hear the end. we're never gonna hear the end of this." <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. I, 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 still, on top of that, you know, whether they got the call wrong or right, the game was three one. There was still four minutes to go in the game. Um, they 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 were well, they weren't playing great. Uh, they were still within reach. I mean, you score one goal, you're you're down one. You pull the goalie with two minutes to go. You tie the game up. I mean, it's it's still manageable. Uh, it was frustrating for sure, but like that was just I I don't know. Yeah, no. that's when that's when you need your coach to lead you and take you know calm everyone down from being upset and uh, and I realize it's an emotional time and and, and everything, but. Um, 
you know, he, he's, he's the one who's supposed to, you know, keep the order. And uh, he didn't. And he flips yeah. out and then he scored an empty net goal. And then, the, and the worst part about it was that the Blackhawks go down and score another goal later. They would have been down three to two instead of uh, four to two. And then he pulls the goalie again and they give up another empty net goal and it's five to two. Yeah. So it just got completely out of hand. Like the last four minutes was yeah. just a complete, you know, mess. Uh, like I said, it, it wasn't like they were playing great anyway, but right. still you gave yourself less of a chance by making some weird moves. Uh, and yeah. that's not even, yeah. and that's not even, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I mean, the guy's won a lot of hockey games and, and uh, he's won a lot of hockey games in situations like that too. Um, but I, I'm not going to disagree. I think that he let his emotions get the better. Oh yeah. Him, chalk it up and, and move on, you know? Um, yeah. No, no, that's, that's, you know, at this point it is over with, but um, it does, it does aggravate me. <laughs> I do get worked up about that. Uh, uh, so, <clears throat> um, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to just go through uh, anything really big that happened in the game. That was where uh, John Hayden uh, broke the face of uh, Marcus Foligno. Uh, so broke we saw the face, that. well put. Yeah. So we saw that happen. Uh, we didn't know you until know, after the game that that's what happened, but uh, he, he got a good. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. No, he he got a good uh, good last last shot in there, buckled his knees and everything. So. Yeah, I mean it was it's interesting. I mean, Hayden, there's sort of a legend of John Hayden that's grown up out of that that fight, you know. But it was interesting because I'm watching that fight and I'm going. Ooh, he's coming really close to eating some big right hands, and he, you know, he he, he avoided it, and then he just swung wildly there and connected. I mean, that was like a haymaker too. And and I mean, hey, you got to give Hayden credit because this is a guy who probably didn't do a lot of fighting playing in the ECAC with you know full cages, and uh, you know, but he went in there against a guy who's known as a legit heavyweight around the league, and and uh, you know. Just, just for the the courage, and then the fact that you know he held him off, um, and then he, he came back with that big punch, and and uh, you, that's you know, and we talked about it a little bit with Craig, and and the, but the reality of it is, is that you know there are still guys taking runs at your star players, and it is good to send the message that somebody may take care of business if they have to, within the rules of the game as they exist today, whether you like fighting or not. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's going to win some people over with that for sure. Yeah, and he can play too. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, I, I like that's Hayden. Yeah, I like Hayden. I got I got nothing against the guy. I'd like to see him play higher up in the lineup with some more skilled players. He may get this chance. Yeah, I think I think his time's going to come. I don't think this is uh, one of those where they're grooming him to just sit on the fourth line and be a you know be a banger for the rest of his career. I think you know his time's going to he's he's going to do like a Ryan Hartman where he'll move up. You know, yeah. like, and Ryan Hartman moved up twice. I mean, he moved up to the third line, and then now he's you know playing on the second line. So John Hayden could very well be playing you know third line, or if uh, you know Richard Panic gets hurt or something, could be playing on the first line. You never know. God forbid. Yeah. God forbid. Yeah, we don't want that. I don't know but, what we would do. But you know, I I think John Hayden's skill set, um, you know, could lend to a Panic type uh, playing style on that first line. You think so? I I think he's got good hands. He can shoot. I mean, he can hit. I, I'm not going to say he's Richard Panic. I'm not going to say he's going to put in you know 22 goals and you know 40 something points. Yeah. But I think um, their 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 style, their gritty style like that, and hitting people and being a little aggressive is similar. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, 
I don't think I don't think that you know. Yes, I think that Hayden is probably closer to panic and skill than he is Andrew DeJardin. You yeah. Know? Oh, um, for sure. Um, it, it, I don't. You know, like it's funny because I was kind of doing a mental calculation as far as Hayden and Hartman. I'm not sure. That, that Hayden's going to score even as much as Hartman. Um, you know, Hartman actually, he's a guy who's probably going to score 20 goals a season at some point. Uh, he can really shoot the puck. Yeah. And uh, he, can, he can play with skilled players. You know, I'm becoming a big Ryan Hartman fan. I'm, I mean, you know, he's almost up in the in the panic pantheon for me. At that point, <laughs> right there but he's getting there. Um, the and, panic uh, pantheon. We're going to have to create a hashtag of that. Yeah. I mean, um, what was it? Oh, so we were having a debate today in the, the, the little Twitter talk we have going. We were having a debate mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, who the next captain of the Hawks would be. And I, and, uh, I said that for, for Ponick, it would be a, it would be a step down for being king of Slovakia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's even weird to think about that next captain of the Blackhawks, you know? Yeah. Cause it almost seems yeah, like Jonathan Taze would be there forever, which he won't. We know, we all know he won't, but. Yeah, you know, but the guy who's the next captain may not be on the Hawks yet, right? Because uh, yeah. Taves is going to be around for several more years, and yeah, um, you know, as we know, players move around quite a bit, and uh, who knows, we'll be around at the at the point that Jonathan Taves hangs him up. So. I think it was uh, I think it was you that brought up like Dirk Graham. I mean, Dirk Graham came to Chicago from you know uh, Minnesota, and you know he had been playing in other places, and and then yeah. showed up here and became captain, and was a great captain, but. Yeah. yeah, and you know it's funny because there's there's a school of thought that that the, your captain is is your best player, right? And I I kind I sort of come more from the old school, as you know, um, where the captain is not necessarily the best player, but he's the best leader. And you know, when Taves was made captain, it's arguable that he was both the best player and the best leader. But you know, Taves really, you know, if if, if there's something he's off the charts in, it's leadership. And you know, the the guy who actually I see currently on the team who I could see growing into that role. I think he would have to lose some of his knucklehead tendencies, but is, is Ryan Hartman. Because, you know, he, he's a guy who's, who, who is a leader. He's vocal. And he's a guy you know, who, who plays much bigger than his size, and he's fearless. Um, the question is, can he rein in those sort of Andrew Shaw-like tendencies he has to take dumb penalties and, and be a little dirty at times? And uh, But... Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's not necessarily the best player, you know, should be the captain. I, I think it's the guy who's the best leader. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Daryl Sutter wasn't the best player on the Blackhawks. No, but, no. And neither was Dirk Graham at the time. Uh, oh. I, I, I mean, we're going right. back, you know, back a ways, but, yeah. um, you know, it's not always that, you know. there's uh, Sutter was a better coach than Duke was, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, even like, you know. Brent Seabrook would make a great captain if Jonathan Hayes so. wasn't here. But, uh, you know, that's not saying he's the best player on the Blackhawks either, but he's one of the big vocal leaders. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's the kind of guy you could see being a captain total. And like Duncan Keith, I cannot see being a captain because no. of his personality. And, and, and uh, you know, there's just certain guys that are more quiet and soft-spoken. And, um, you know, Dustin Bufflin is a guy who's a really good leader, but it's a very quiet leadership style. It's behind closed doors. It's kind of not not out front, and uh, um, you know the, the you know the captain's the guy that usually if you've got a captain, it's obvious who it is. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, also, um, I, I don't want to belabor too much on this game, on the wild game, but uh, this also one of the goals was uh, a direct result of a Gustav Forsling turnover. 
<sighs> yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we're, we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit, um, about the Seabrook hate and how people are now, um, I mean, I guess it's probably a decent segue, but, um, you know, how everyone's kind of moved from the, uh, the Artem Anisimov hate last week to the <laughs> Brent Seabrook hate this week. And, you know, like it was brought up to, to Quenville, you know, like, would you think about putting Brent Seabrook in the rotation of healthy scratches? And he said, absolutely oh, not. And, and you shouldn't do that. Um, but you got people like, you know, Gustav Forsling, who's just going out there and sometimes he's just flailing, just flailing. And uh, um, <clears throat> maybe sit him for a game, you know, let him gather himself, let him see it. We talked about it the last podcast. Like, why is he not an option? But Connor Murphy is an option. Like, yeah, I don't you know, he's younger than Connor Murphy. He's got less experience than Connor Murphy. Why is Connor Murphy? Connor Murphy hasn't been bad. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been bad. He's just been. So we have two of our three uh, coaches were defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. And they're they're clearly making the determinant now, um, you know, Osterley is, is an option on the left side, uh, and I, I think Osterley's going to get some games, and probably the guy he's going to replace is is going to be Forsling when that happens. Um, but they're making the ter- determin- determination right now that Forsling is benefiting from playing rather than watching, and um, you know, it, it's it's funny though because. I mean, the whipping boy phenomenon. I mean, I I had I just had to sit there and tell people the other day over and over that Seabrook is not the problem and Lance Bohm is not the problem. But everybody wants to go and find some guy based upon his salary and what he does on the team and make him the problem. I I can't point to any one player in the team and say he's he's the problem. I see a couple of problems with this team. One is the power play is sucking. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. The, The. the second one is is that they're making really bad puck decisions at their blue line and the other team's blue line. And uh, some of those puck decisions are coming back the other way and going and getting in the net. And um, there's there's a few a few players making more of those bad puck decisions than others. Um, you've mentioned one of them, Gustav Forsling. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so uh, to me, and uh, hey, four one and one. Um, but l- the, my concern is, and I've said this on my, on my blog, is that after the first couple of games. The, the whole tone of the team's game, the whole the whole approach has changed. And I think a big part of that was losing Schmaltz in game two. And that second line is just ground to a halt with, you know, they're trying different guys at center. It's just not really working. Except Hartman's been okay. You know, they moved Hartman over to center. And he's actually been okay. And, and that, that in the Nashville game, which we haven't talked about yet, I actually thought that the Hawks started that game pretty terrible and I really liked the way they took it over in the last half of the third period in overtime yeah and that that said to me you know what this is not going to be a replay of last year this is a team that can that can turn it on but you know I think man if, if Schmaltz keeps getting hurt they got a problem because they really need him they get when Schmaltz is driving that line with his speed it's a whole different team because not only are you now now like really dangerous on two lines but but you're spending so much time in the opponent's zone that it's covering up the, the, the learning curve, if you will, or deficiencies, if you want to, if you want to be a little more harsh yeah. of the blue line right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the first couple of games, you, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that. I mean, as far as the small things go, I, I don't think we know how good we didn't realize how good we had it actually. No, oh, um, no, you know, until he was gone and uh, luck. The good news is kind of a segue. 
Uh, the, tomorrow, it looks like Nick Schmaltz will be playing back in St. Louis. So uh, that could be good news for the Blackhawks that might wake up some of the uh, the sticks and uh, get us some goals. So, Well, I mean, what Schmaltz was doing is that he was just using his speed to create opportunities, and he was getting behind a palsy defenseman. And it was, and I mean, it was like basically, I mean, Katie barred the door to use an old tired pun, but I mean, uh, that line was, was just crazy good with Schmaltz on it. And then yeah. all of a sudden Schmaltz is gone and they put an Isimov there. And I think the next game they were all under 20 for Corsi for the game to under 20%, which is horrible. And um, like I said, putting Hart moving Hartman over from wing up to center on that line, they tried Carroll, they tried an Isimov. Hartman got it going against Nashville and, um, you know, um, getting Schmaltz back, move, move Hartman back out to the left. Cause you know, the first line has been great. Uh, you know, they've, they've got it going that that lines is, you know, back going again and, and, uh, get the two lines going. And suddenly, you know, you're not, you're not as worried about uh, what's going on in your own zone. Cause the puck's not there as much. <laughs> yeah. That's simple. Yeah, and uh, you also mentioned the uh, the Preds game, uh, so we might as well just get into that too. Um, uh, you know, I guess the big news out of that game was uh, PK Subban after the game talking about how they were the better team. If you look at the numbers, <sighs> okay, some of the numbers certainly favored the Preds, but there were numbers that favored the Blackhawks as well. So it was you know I, some numbers like say the scoreboard tell the story. Um, you know, Corey right. Crawford was really good. Uh, the Blackhawks, their possession numbers were really bad early in the game, but they battled yeah. back and, and were almost even. Yeah. Uh, they, they won 58% of their draws. Uh, yep. They did some good things out there. So it, it, it he made it seem like they completely dominated, and that wasn't the case. And by the time overtime came around, the Preds were out of gas. They could not keep up with the Blackhawks. Right, right. And uh, that's not something, you know, if, if you would have told me this, you know, um, in early April, when the Blackhawks were thrown out of the playoffs, that you know the Blackhawks are going to play against the Preds, and and uh, the Preds will be completely out of gas by the time overtime hits in in the fall, I might be like, uh, really? <laughs> but you know, here we are. So uh, you know, there there were some positives in that game. Uh, you know, no, I like I really liked. I, they were frustrating the crap out of me the first forty minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean. And it, it, part of it was, and you heard the announcer saying it, but it, it was obvious. I mean, they were losing 50, 50 pucks. Um, they weren't engaging along the wall. They were giving up on pucks too easily. And that's, you know, that that's fixable. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's just a question of effort. And I, I'm not sure, you know, I, it's probably different things with different players. Um, we saw one guy kind of, you and I talked about it, one guy kind of pulled up short on a puck. He should have gone after, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, the, 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 the point is that they flipped the switch in the, in the, in the latter half of the third period. I think, a, like I said, a big part of that was moving Hartman over to center on Kane's line. And suddenly they started generating stuff and uh, they moved to bring it to left, to left wing on that line, which is, is fine. And I think as long as you have a guy like Hartman on that line or a Hayden who could go in the pocket and, and, and or excuse me, go in the corners and win pucks and do some of that heavy lifting around the net. Fine. Um, whatever it was, it worked. And to it was causing problems for Nashville on their end too, because he has that gift for finding those open seams and, you know, Nashville is starting to run around a little bit and there you go. You know, they, they tied the game up and uh, then went into overtime and, you know, Brandon Saad doing what he's done all year, just going hard to the net and good things happen. And I he's know just right off the bench, right off to the bench and right to the fucking net. I mean, it was, yep. he, I mean, he did, there was no, nothing in between, man. It was straight line from the bench to the 
bench to the net, and that was it. So uh, that was good That's to see. He, he, you know, and he's he's made a big difference this year. I mean, just his speed and energy and, you know, how physical he is. He's just, I mean, it's six goals, you know, in, in six games. Um, but, you know, he's just he's just made such a gigantic difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ponick has, has gone to another level in terms of his physicality and using his physicality to, 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 to steal pucks and, and create opportunities. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, and it's not just, it's not just them. It's also the, the lower line guys. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember when they signed Bowman Wingles, a lot of people were moaning and rolling their eyes. Why are we signing these guys? But you know what? I mean, those guys are going out there and doing hard work on those lower lines and, and providing some pushback at times. And, 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 you know, John Hayden has stepped up as well. And I mean, this team is a lot more competitive. It's a lot more competitive, um, speed wise, I think they're a faster team, but I also think they're a bigger, more physical team now too. And um, they'll, you know, there, there's some good things happening. There's, there's, they're giving up way too many shots. I mean, really, really bad, too many shots. Uh, they, and they got to work mm-hmm. on that. And I think that's a function of those, you know, uh, poor puck decisions at the blue lines, but, uh, you know, the, the latter half of the Preds game made me think, you know what, these guys are, these guys are going to come back just fine, especially when they get Schmaltz back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of shots, I mean, Corey Crawford uh, had 37 uh, saves in this game and he was outstanding. And yeah. uh, like as of after this game, he was leading the league in wins, goals against average and save percentage. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they can't count on him to, to stay there all season long. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of time before he gets the hell beat out of them. So they need to start, you know, he's holding them in there long enough so they can maybe find their, you know, find their groove. Uh, but uh, they're going to have to start finding their groove and winning some games for him instead of him winning games for them. Uh, I think they have like three games in four nights coming up or three games in five. Well, they're playing uh, tomorrow and then they're playing Thursday and then maybe this Saturday, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. Maybe, it, no, I think it's a back to back. I think it's Thursday and Friday. No, no, no. It's tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday, I think. I think. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, but I think they have a back-to-back. Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, yeah. I think I, I think how's, how's it goes. Because I oh, think uh, they were asking if Forsling was going to play on Thursday. I think that's what so it was. We'll probably see we'll probably see Forsberg. Yeah, yeah, Forsberg. Uh, oh, God, Forsberg. this is going to drive me nuts all season long. It's all right. It's all right. Um, Especially in this game. It would have been two Forsbergs and a Forsling if uh, – <laughs> <laughs> if Forsberg would have played for the Hawks, that would have drove yeah. me nuts. Go ahead. But so we'll probably see Forsberg, which would be good. But you know about Crawford. I mean, I'm asking the question: Is it possible he's gotten even better? I mean, he's been phenomenal. He has. He yeah, has. Forsberg was great in that Toronto game too. And I yeah. don't know. I think we we talked about that, yeah. didn't we, mm-hmm. last time? Yeah. 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 But yeah Crawford's no, been. Amazing. He seems to be and, like every year stepping it up a notch a little. You know, being more. He's not like that. He's not that goalie that everyone, you know, in, in, in what, 2012 or whatever, where you, you'd catch him every couple of games. He'd give up one of those real softies. Yep. yep he doesn't yep. give up those softies anymore. No, he doesn't. No. He doesn't. I mean, when I mean, he gets beat, just... he gets beat, you know, uh, I, he usually gets beat on, on, on a good goal. You, you don't see too many softies coming off of him anymore. So, you know, and I, I have to admit, I, I, there was a time when I was, I was not a big Corey Crawford fan. And, and guys like you who know goalies, um, uh, my buddy six six two eight, um, you know, would, would say, "No, Crawford's Crawford's got what you want. He's got the, the the technical ability. He's got great feet and all that." And I'd be like, "Yeah, but he's like, you know, he he has, you know, he, he gives up two goals every night, and if he if he gives up a third, they're gonna lose." Um, 
but you know, he's just, he's gotten better and better and better and he's gotten better in money situations. And I've become a huge Crawford fan. And at this point I'm like, especially with the the start he's had to this season, if he keeps going, like he's going, people have got to finally give him his props Yeah, that this is, this is one of the absolute pinnacle best goalies in the NHL. Yeah. He's just been phenomenal. And one of the best Blackhawks goalies, you know, in, in the top three or four. Of yep. all time, yep. you know, um, well, he's got the hard where man. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. So, but yeah. well, also in this game, I mean, uh, Franzen played Franzen, not Franzen, Franzen played. <laughs> um, and he actually played pretty That's well. Nice. I, I think the first game that he played, uh, he didn't play all that well. He looked a little bit slow, but, uh, this game, he actually looked all right. Uh, you said he looked like, you know, it, it's really hard when you're only playing like every third, fourth game, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, you know, he's an older guy. He's a big guy. He carries a lot of weight, like sitting around. It's gotta, you know, be rough on you. So, but I, I was glad to see that he played a little better game. Cause I, you know, I, I think, you know, Franzen was going to be a, a, you know, kind of an under the radar thing as far as depth goes for the rest of the season. I don't, I don't have a huge problem with him. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's slow as a glacier. But other than that, I mean, he certainly seems to think the game well. I think, you know, I think he plays relatively well within himself, knowing that he has limitations of mobility. Um, and, you know, the, if you get him out in the power play and you get the puck to him, man, he can blast it. Yeah. Um, and, and no, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with him at all as a seventh defenseman because, personally, I think he's, he's at 30 years of age with the skills that he does have. He's an improvement over Rosable. Yes. I mean, Rosable 100%. was the, you know, the now, now famous three wheel jewel shopping cart. I mean, he was a guy who thought the game and overcame real physical limitations yeah. at the end. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's, I think Francis is an improvement. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with Murphy. And, and this will probably lead us to our, our inevitable Zebra conversation, which yeah. I can't wait. But, I, I don't know what's going on with Murphy. I, it's funny. I mean, I, I've raised the question, why isn't he playing? And it, I mean, is it because they want him up in the press box getting that bird's eye view to, to see things from that angle, which happens sometimes? Um, they, I think they did that with Kempney a lot last year, too. Mm-hmm. They wanted him up there to kind of really see things. Um, you know, but I, it's, it, it's kind of disappointing because you kind of hope that Murphy was going to come in with the experience that he does have with, you know, his, his physical tools that they would come in and kind of acclimate quickly and, and maybe it'd be a, a pleasant surprise. He hasn't been really bad, but there's, there's something ain't right. I mean, there, if, if he's sitting for Cody Franson, eh, eh, you know, you, you just, you, you would think that he could kind of grab that, that job and hold on to it at this point. And I just kind of hope in terms of, you know, the team and the depth chart that, that he's able to step up and, and become that regular defenseman that, that they kind of need. Yeah. And, and, uh, I heard, uh, on the, 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 the Myers and, uh, Pat Boyle podcast thing that, uh, he'd never been healthy scratched ever in his career before yeah. coming to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I, I get that he's only 24, but come on, man, <laughs> let's not, be, let's not do what you've done to so many other players before where it's beat their confidence down. Like if you're gonna, like, I just hope it's not another Trevor Daly situation. Yeah, right. You know? if, if, if you're I not... remember when when Daly came to Chicago, he got in Q's doghouse really early on, and I yeah. am not still not entirely sure what really happened there. But I, I, you know, I had seen Trevor Daly play for ten years in the league, and 
you know, he was always clearly more of an offensive defenseman. Not always, not always super solid in his end, but he was good enough. And and for some reason, he just got so deep in the doghouse with Q that he finally requested a trade. And um, it's not like he didn't try. And I, I was actually told that by a team source that, you know, the, the guys felt like he was really trying, but it was just there was some kind of disconnect with him and, and Quenville and probably Kitchen as well. And, uh, you know, they, oh. they sh- Kitchen. Tip him off for for the remains of Rob Scuderi, and you know Daly's had a pretty nice run in Pittsburgh, you know, and, it, and yeah. so I just I just hope that 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 the, the Murphy story doesn't go there because the other thing is Murphy's a great kid, yeah. he really is, you know, he's he's got a great attitude and he was happy to be in Chicago, and so I hope you know I just hope that they get that worked out and uh, he's he's back in a regular role at some point. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... Just one last uh, thing on this game was circling back on the John Hayden thing. I actually uh, was watching him in this game, and, and one thing that I pointed out in my recap was uh, he, he got out there on the penalty kill, and this is the game after he breaks Felino's face. Yeah. He gets out there, out there on the penalty kill and single-handedly um, holds the puck in the corner deep in the Pred zone on the penalty kill with three guys around him, Yeah, which is impressive because, yeah. you know, Usually, if you got two guys on you down in the corner, one of them is going to be able to get that puck out of there. He took on three guys and held it down there for like a good fifteen seconds at least. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, he's he's yeah. he's becoming one of one of uh, the guys that I notice a lot out there is John yep. Hayden. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Seabrook, man. <laughs> I know you you wrote up a post about it today, so it's fresh in everyone's minds. I mean. What what is just, this with going from Anisim off to Seabrook and all this hate? Yeah, it, it's just the the thing of it is is uh, there was some kind of, there was a narrative that kind of grew up the last couple of years around Seabrook that he that his game had fallen off a cliff, and I think that was based on some analytics when he was you know playing a lot a lot of his minutes were being played with the likes of Victor Svedberg and Michael Kempney and. Oh, you mean you like know, Stephen Birch and his uh, Trevor Daly is massively outperforming uh, Brent Seabrook comment? Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. and you know, it, it, here's the thing. I mean, listen, I I personally, when I watch Seabrook play now, I go, you know, he's at yeah, 32. He's maybe lost a half a step, but you know, the, the, it's just so funny. It's like the backup quarterback is always the best quarterback at Chicago. Well, this year the greatest hockey player in history is this mystery fourth line or excuse me this mystery top four defenseman we're going to get from another team with yeah. all of our cap space we have yeah that is now the greatest player in the history of hockey without giving up uh it or forsling or anything right right and the, what you what you've got to realize is is that no g is going to trade you a legitimate top four defenseman for what the hawks literally probably can offer um, you know, maybe, maybe the Hawks do see a guy out there like, let's just pull a name out of a hat, like a, a guy like a Josh Manson, and they're willing to part with him for to bring it and a first round pick, something like that. Okay. That's kind of a, that's kind of an exciting and meaningful trade because there's a guy with upside, mm-hmm. um, and, and some real dynamic ability right now. But you know, the thing, this mystery fourth or excuse me, top four defenseman that you're going to get, this is a guy who has blemishes too, probably. I mean, Brent Seabrook is, is a legitimate top four defenseman in the league. Don't kid yourself. I mean, this is a guy who could still play some. Um, and, you know, he has, he has a bad game or two. Guess what? The whole 
team is underwater right now in possession because they're getting they're getting so many shots on. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I just think I just think this this writing off of Seabrook or making Seabrook the whipping boy. It's like uh, it, to me, it's like really misplaced. And and at the end of the day, you're that you're not going to probably get a top four defenseman from somebody else who's as good or better than Brent Seabrook. No. So what else you got? I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, he is overpaid. I, I'm not. I'm not disputing that. But the bottom line is this: is that right now this year they have cap space, so Seabrook's salary is not really the problem. No. So roll with it. Let's see what happens. Jeff with the new CBA, they got a compliance buyout. You know, he'll have some more uh, miles on the on the on the, the the tires at that point. Maybe at that point, there's there's something to do there. But I mean. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, no, you're no, you're no, you're right. I mean, let's say Seabrook made two million dollars less. What does that change? Right. It doesn't change anything because you don't you can't offer anything to get another player in there. It doesn't matter how much fucking cap space you have. Right. So, uh, you know, it's 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 all a moot point because, you know, you're going to bring in a five or six. You're going to bring in another five or six and then you're going to have, you know, nine defensemen that are five, six, you know, so it's, yeah. Right. So, so anyway, it's, yeah, it, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. would I like to see them get another veteran defenseman for the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, if, if uh force league, especially you know, doesn't step up, if Murphy, especially if Murphy doesn't get out of Q's doghouse, then maybe they, they're going to have to do something and add a, a, another veteran defense um, for the, for the playoffs at yeah. the trade deadline. That that's a certainly a possibility. Yeah. Um, but again, you're going to, I think, the Hawks make the playoffs. You're going to be glad you got Brent Seabrook. I, I really, I really just can't even imagine the team right now because you know, going back to Crawford, we're talking about how good Crawford's become. The the argument used to be, and I think it was fair at one point, the defense in front of him was so good he didn't have to be that good. That's not true anymore. No, it hasn't been in a while. I mean, <laughs> no. 2015. Look at the team he won with. Right. He, he won with four four defensemen. <laughs> The, the five, six were nothing. I mean, David Runblad was in there. We've, we've talked about the length. Bisky. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the cucumber right. as, as he was affectionately known as. So, all right, well, we won't belabor any of this stuff too much. Um, I mean, that pretty much covers what, what, what happened with the Hawks this week. Let's, we got a couple of questions. We'll, we'll kind of go through those. And then um, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to round this podcast out by myself, I'll go a little bit solo for a couple minutes. Sure. So, yeah. um, Let's get to these questions. Uh, I think some of these were probably, uh, you know, intended for Custance, but um, like I said, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to keep them uh, keep them on the line too long. So our boy Brainsprain one from uh, from our little hockey chat that we have going on. Hockey um, fun again. Yeah. Um, his first one was, "What's the current market price for Duchesne? Um I'm just gonna. I'm, there's a couple Duchesne ones in here, so I'm just gonna put them all together, and then we can talk about it. Uh, Mario Turbasi. Uh, when, where does Matt Duchesne go and who on the Blackhawks hands him the Stanley cup this year? And, uh, and, and then, uh, 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 what's the current market price for, uh, for, for Duchesne? I thought it was like a, uh, a top prospect or, uh, an NHL player, a top prospect at a first rounder, maybe was it? Well, you know, there, there's a, there's an internet and I shouldn't say that's probably, that's probably not fair. There's a, uh, belief out there and I think it's been reported by somebody Close to the Avalanche too, so I want to be fair that the, that what the Avs Avs are really after for Duchesne is a great young defenseman. Um, Connor now, Murphy's good. <laughs> yeah. 
the scenarios the the scenarios that um, that I've heard out of Montreal. I mean, Montreal doesn't really have that great young defenseman to give up for him, and I, I've heard more around uh, deals around Alex Galchenyuk um, for for Duchesne. Uh, you know, uh, would the Hawks be interested in Matt Duchesne? I know because I know the brain sprain is like me as a Matt Duchesne fan. Um, you know, listen, if Nick Schmaltz, for whatever reason, gets hurt again, um, or there's a lingering issue here, um, going and getting Matt Duchesne becomes a pretty good idea for this team, in my yeah. opinion, because you need that that centerman with great speed um, to drive that line with with Kane. And you know, the other thing, he's great on faceoffs; he can kill penalties. So you know that that, that deal would make sense, but the, the price is going to be crazy high. I, I think the situation there has become kind of toxic. He wants out. Um, you know, I don't think it's been particularly well handled by Joe Sackick. No, situation. not at all. Um, pardon me? Not at all. Right. And uh, so the price probably isn't as high as it was. But, you know, Sackick is, is it, in a sense, he's just playing the long game. And he's saying, you know what, I'll trade him when I trade him. And, and um, he's going to play, and that's it. And, you know, they're not going to win the Cup this year. So... I guess that makes sense, but so I it's gonna I don't know where Duchesne's gonna go. I, if I had to bet, I don't think he's coming to Chicago. Especially, and if Nick Schmaltz is back and healthy at driving that line, then the need for a Matt Duchesne for the Hawks goes down dramatically to where he'd be a luxury. And I, I just don't see them overpaying for a luxury. No, and 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 it may it may cause a little bit of uh, contention with you know where do you put? I mean, it's a nice right. problem to have, but. Do you really want to pay for that problem of where do you put him, or well, where do you put you know, Schmaltz once you, you have the Duchesne there? You know. Yeah, if you could get him to take a Nisimov and something, well, then it makes sense because you've got you know you can play him, you can play Duchesne at left wing or at center. Yeah. Um, and but I just I don't see I don't see Joe Sackett going. Oh yeah, I need Artem and Nisimov and his boat anchor speed. No. You know, and and uh. uh Billy Polka and a draft pick. I, I no, maybe last it. year when when the illusion was that Artem and, or there was some illusion out there that Artem and Isamov was driving that second line and he was the glue right. that was holding it together, but uh, yeah. that's no longer. So, right, when, that we, dream has died. Yeah, when you have Isamov playing fourth line uh, center some games, nah. you know, and, and we're so now we're making him the whipping boy. But you, you know, the, the the truth of the matter is he's a useful player and he always oh, yeah. has been. But no, you know, I just don't think he's going to get us to Shane. He was right. Yeah. He was the the lucky lottery winner between Kane and Panarin last year. I mean, I think that's that's become really evident. Right. right. Um, he's played pretty well this year at times. I mean, he's he's had you know a couple of big goals and mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, the thing is is can you afford a guy like him four and a half million dollars for a third line center who's nope. not that great on faceoffs? Nope. And, and, and not being able to get a not yeah. being able to get rid of uh, Seabrook, which you're not going to be able to do. Um, right. He's going to, you know, at least he's got, so, you know, something, some upside there um, where, you know, the salary, if you're going to use him higher in the lineup, he's OK. You know, he's got some pedigree with scoring and he's tough and he's kind of big and, you know, you got something you could sell him for. And, he, and he's not that old. So, right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to uh, brain sprain. He actually put in four questions. So um could could Tavares be traded at the deadline honestly I don't think they will I think if if anything they're gonna try and work till the better end of it to work that out I don't think they're gonna I really think that they're they're gonna give their best effort and they're not gonna give up until he until he either signs or he's walking out the door uh and it's not gonna be for a trade so uh his next question was a Seattle team in 2020 
I'm all for it. I like Seattle. Love Seattle. Love that town. I'm good for it if they get that uh, that 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 arena thing straightened out, which I think they do. Or they have a plan in motion or something. Is Gretzky still involved with that ownership group? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I haven't heard in a while, but I. I know they put together some kind of plan where it was like maybe it was the key arena that they were going to redo or something. Not but, sure. But it was going to be able to, uh, you know, definitely house a hockey team. So I don't know. If it, was... it seems like a good city for hockey. I mean, it's great natural rivalry with uh, with Vancouver. For sure. And, uh, you know, um, the, there's kind of a hockey wasteland between Vancouver and L.A. at this point. Well, they've got, got some San good Jose. junior teams up yeah. there, too. Pardon me? they got some good junior teams up that way, too. So. Oh, Lots of them. Yeah. Portland, Seattle. They got good uh, followings. Yeah. Really Everett. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. The Portland Winterhawks are up that way. I mean, I, yep. you know, it's, uh, I love the city. I mean, I got to be honest. It's, it's not a huge city, but yeah, like Seattle, but you look, you look at like, you know, uh, the soccer stadium and the football stadium and the, and the baseball stadium, like they house these big market teams there and, and they do pretty well. So, yeah. um, you know, I'd like to see it. Maybe it's a selfish thing because I really like Seattle and I like to go back there, but yeah, yeah. there's a I, lot of money in Seattle too. I yeah. mean, you know, there's, there's big tech money there and there's big pharma money there and, uh, and there's it's, legal it's a, weed it would be money a great there. city for, for an NHL, <laughs> for an NHL franchise. Yeah. There's legal weed money there. <laughs> yeah. There's that too. <laughs> so yep, they're in Vancouver. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, also, uh, are the Hawks too old and too slow? Not quite yet, but they're on the doorstep. They're getting there. If uh, they don't, yeah. Next couple I, years, I, yeah. I like. I I think that they've actually increased their team speed. I mean, I um, there was a piece of. I won't I won't name the writer because I like the writer, but I disagreed with him because he, he he said flatly that that um, Sod was not as fast as Panarin. I I disagree. I think Brandon Sod actually has a half a step on Artemi Panarin, and Panarin's a good skater. But Saad can absolutely fly. And I think that line, the combination of size and speed on that line, it's just, I mean, Panic and Saad have just revitalized him. And it's its great to watch. It's great to watch those guys. And, um, you know, Schmaltz, I mean, Schmaltz has gained a half a step. I don't know what he did in the offseason, but he's hes absolutely flying now and his and, confidence uh, yeah i mean he, i've done a complete 180 on him i was i was in debrinket yeah. territory last year on schmaltz and he came out and and just showed me and 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 won me over i'm yeah, big I mean, in the schmaltz bus yeah I, th- I think so i think overall the team speed is actually better than it was last year um and you know i i don't know i don't know if they if they got any younger overall um you know, it's funny. I got into an argument with a guy on Twitter today. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> I figure that, right? But uh, but uh, hey, look who's talking. <laughs> I know. Jeez. I know. I'm always getting into fights with but people. This guy, so this guy was said on a podcast that that this Columbus Blue Jackets absolutely stole Artemi Panarin from the Blackhawks. No. And I had to take issue with it. And and I asked him. I said point blank. I said, Well, why did you say that? And he said, Well. Um, he's going to score more and he's going to play longer. And I said, and I responded, I said, and he's going to play longer because he's a year older. <laughs> and I don't think this guy realized that Artemi Panarin is a year older than Brandon Sock. And, uh, you know, it, so it, it, it's interesting. I think that, you know, and say what you want. I mean, and God knows what's going to happen with Connor Murphy, but, you know, they got younger on the back end this year um, with, with the guys. I mean, Cody Franson's about 20 years younger than Michael Rosable, so there you go. 
I mean, so the, the point is, is I, I actually think that Bowman did a lot of good things this, this offseason, but he did so much that they're still kind of sorting it out, I think. But there's times when, when I, I mean, the first two games and the latter half of the Nashville game, the, the end of the Nashville game, I, I like this team. I just think that they got to get playing more like, like those games and those parts of games and not the other, the other parts of the other games where they're getting outshot like five to one, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, yeah, going, going back to the sod thing, I mean, the, uh, the point about um, him being faster uh, than Panarin, uh, the thing with that is, is I, I don't disagree with you because Saad, what Saad has is he has the longer, stronger strides. Oh, yeah, he can fly. Slow, real, but they're very strong. When uh, Panarin had those quick, choppy, so yep. he looks faster because his legs are moving faster. Yep. That doesn't mean yep. he's actually, actually moving faster. Saad has those long, really, he's a strong lower body. And he has those long, you know, long, oh. deliberate, slow strides, but he moves fast. So if you were gonna, if you were gonna, there's two guys actually who've played for the Hawks in recent years. If you were gonna, you know, provide video for a young a young skater to 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 watch to learn how to skate, it would be Brandon Sod and Marion Hosa. I mean, yeah. the way those guys skate is just it's textbook, and um, and that's not that you know, Panarin was a fine skater. But I mean, the things that Saad does with his mobility up and down the ice, both directions, um, it, it, it changes the game in a lot of ways, especially and Quenville knows how to use him. You know, I mean, uh, he, when he was in Chicago from 2012 to 2015, that line, him and Taves and Hosa, that was the best line in hockey. There's no question. Yeah. And he goes away for two years. The Taves line, you know, goes into a tailspin because they're auditioning the Thursday night beer league on, on the left wing for two years. And then side comes back and all of a sudden, boom, they're rolling again. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, anyway, yeah, but... I don't think they've gotten, I don't think they've, they, they maybe get, you know, Duncan Keith is getting on years. Seabrook's getting on years. You can't, you can't ignore that. Corey Crawford's 32 now, I think. Um, Kane and Taves are going to be over 30 coming up soon. Yeah. And you know, when, when Duncan Keith retires, especially, but, and, you know, Kanan Taves won't be too far behind, but when Keith is gone or Keith's effectiveness runs out, that's the end of this era. Start the rebuild, in my opinion. I mean, um, so the, yeah, they, there's a couple of years left, I think, um, on this window. And Keith looks good this year. He looks healthy and he's playing well. I mean, so I think there's a couple of years left here on this, this window, but, uh, you know, um, I, I actually like the work that Bowman did this summer to kind of retool on the fly. And, and um, I think last year that team was pretty anemic by playoff time, you know, and it seems like this, this team has a chance to be a better team. Yeah. Uh, a couple quick questions just so we could wrap this thing up. Uh, Cliff Deutsch uh, Q is rotating third pair right side D with Murphy and Franzen. Uh, loyalty will prevent any early season moves, but when does number seven drop in the lines? Um, we've already talked yeah, about we that. Yeah, we can already talked about that. Um, Ken Kallenbach, um, biggest improvement uh, for a change of scenery guy, Panic, Dubnik, Marsha Show, or other? I'm thought about this one. My other is Patrick Sharp. <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. Because his well, change of scenery, sure I'm talking about coming from, coming from Philly. So, go ahead. I, 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 I wanna, I'm not sure I understand the question. Biggest improvement for a change of scenery guy, like... You know, a guy who oh, had the change of scenery, you. moved somewhere else, and I had you know. You. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, like Panic did, and Dubnik kind of did. 
Dubnik went a couple plays. He went like three places and didn't do yeah. well. He's playing. I, I am not a Dubnik fan. I, I'm, I, I will never be a Dubnik fan. He played. He was shitty in three places. He shows up in Minnesota where they play, de- you know, decent defense in front of him, or pretty good defense in front of him, I will say. Um, and then all of a sudden, he's the world's best goalie. I, I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. Yeah. And you know, I, is I, kind of an under-the-radar kind of guy. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. I think, I think Patrick Sharp's post-Philadelphia career has been, you know, pretty remarkable. I mean, it's kind of a storybook. Yeah, but I'm just going to say this about our guy, Dick Panic. Um, I'm interested to see what his ceiling is because he keeps getting better. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's made a few plays this year that just are, are mind numbingly good in my opinion. And maybe that's the kind of hockey that I like, but that I hit mean, where he, he was, cele- where he, where he, he hit the guy in the corner, separated him from the puck and fed it out for the goal. That yeah, was Seth textbook. Jones. You know, Seth Jones is a giant yeah. on skates and, and Ponick went in there and just, just, I mean, it reminded me of the hit that, uh, Dustin Bufflin put on Pronger. Yeah, in the uh, 2010 mm-hmm. Stanley yeah. Cup, he just ragdolled him, and, and I wouldn't uh, have expected that from Panic, but he did it, man. I, I, man, I'm a fan. I want, I want my player shirt. They didn't make them last year. They better make them this year because I want one. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, but that was just you know, because I mean, and then the puck, he, he got the puck out to t- to Taves, and Taves one time did it was yep. a beautiful shot. Yep. And uh, I mean, that's I, I just love to see that because you know that's like. That's big boy hockey, and it's that's you know panic is just saying you know what I'm taking that puck and I'm getting it to my guy, and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it. Yeah, and that's and where the hits I, are good. That's where you need the hits in the game like that. Nice clean hit yeah, separates the guy from yeah. the puck. Nothing dirty, no elbows, right. not char- targeting the head, just a right. body check. So yeah, yeah. So I want to see what he does before I you know before I you know sort of say that that we have an answer to that question. But that's me. I mean, it, and it's it's going to be hard for panic to. I think uh, Eclipse Patrick Sharp's career, yeah. um, you know, in the Indian head, but uh, yeah. I, that's I, a good question. I saw the question before you, so I had I, I had the the luxury of being able to think of that. So uh, it kind of puts you on the spot. Uh, and then there were two sillier questions at the end that we're going to go. Uh, the uh, at not the score six seventy HR. So you know this is a parody account. Asked, what is your favorite type of churro? Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I took the time while I was waiting for Skype to not be broken anymore to look up some different kinds, uh, different flavors of churro. And I'm going to go with what I found in California at Disney in California. They have, uh, and it's a tie, the apple cinnamon and the salted caramel. Salted caramel is like what might be my favorite flavor of anything. And apple cinnamon is right there too. So those would be mine. But yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, I know. I, I just, yeah. I wanted to justify it with churros, an answer. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, sort of no, like uh, it's it's kind of like a, a tubular elephant ear. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, not a, a funnel cake, a tubular funnel cake. Yeah, I mean, I'm I love I love Mexican food, but I'm not a big churro guy. Uh, I'll eat them, but uh, it's not what I go out and buy. So, um, and then the last one from J Mac Boy, our boy from the uh, from the Great Down Under. Uh, he says, "Who will James Neal thank first when he wins the Consmoy Trophy?" <laughs> um. Unfortunately, we, I still don't. What will he do first? He says, who will James Neal thank first when he wins the Conn Smythe Trophy? And I, I don't think it's going to happen, at least this year, because I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But they're having a nice run to start the season. So, good Yeah, for they're, they're an interesting story. And, I, you know, their their Twitter was a great story until that, that got uh, that pissed off about half the world. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're a team. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, cool. That's uh, that's questions. I think we talked about most of the stuff. Um, before you take off, um, you're at J A E C C K E L on the Twitters. Um, the Twitters. Yep, on the Twitters. Uh, you got anything else you got to plug or anything else you want to say before you uh, skip for the night? No, I, I don't have any. I don't have any plugs. I we've done our clumsy foreshadowing. I'll let that go for tonight. And uh, thanks again, Gabe, for having me on. And, of course, uh, man. Thanks, thanks for uh, Craig Custis coming on. It was awesome. Yeah, Craig's and, awesome. Uh, and buy his book, please do, because uh, yes, everyone should buy that book and support the, you know, support good good books and good information and uh, and all that stuff and uh craig's a good guy so he always he's you know even before the book like you know he was a trusted source in the nhl so so gate i have to leave with a question so because yeah it's been you know what i'm i'm getting at here yeah. so do you, do you think we'll have an announcement to make down the next shoutcast or will that be maybe a couple of shoutcasts out uh i'm gonna say uh maybe not next one but the one after that ah, I'm, okay. I'm going to right. i'm going okay. to all right cool all I right, do. Man. I'm out. All right, take care. Bye. So I wanted to wrap this up. Um, and I, I felt uh, that it was best that I wrap this up on my own. Um, some of you saw yesterday, uh, my boy, uh, my brother, uh, Patrick Stankus, announced that he's going to be kind of leaving the uh, blogging, podcasting world. Um, and I can't say that... You know, it, it comes to a big. It comes as a big surprise to me. I mean, his, his things, other things in his life have, have come up. Um, you know, job has taken uh, a more of a you know more of his free time up. He doesn't have time to you know really sit down and, and recap the games. And and I have to say, um, I love the guy like a brother. Uh, I've known him since he was about fourteen years old. Um, you know, uh, pulling pull, pulling the curtain back kind of a little on this. Um, you know, I, I, we give each other a lot of crap. Um, You'll notice the, the music I'm playing under here is a song that uh, he selected a while ago. Um, but, uh, you know, he, back in April, um, he expressed to me that he had kind of lost the fire. Uh, which, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, it, uh, this, 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 this takes a lot out of you. So, um, he, he had kind of lost the fire and he kind of stepped back a little bit and, uh, uh, he, he yeah, he pretty much had drafted his goodbye back then. So the goodbye that you guys all saw yesterday had been around since April. Uh, but uh, he kind of reconsidered and came back, and, and we, we, we still did some things and uh, had some podcasts. But um, uh, he kind of requested he wanted to take the summer off to do his thing, and, and, I, and I, re- I fully respect that. Because, um, I mean, you know, with all due respect, um, I... I'm asking people to do 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 things and, and write things and watch games and give me their time, give me their free time to do stuff. So I uh, I, I can't uh, express how much I appreciate that. And and for the three years that he gave uh, this website, um, I can't I can't say thank you enough. Uh, the guy uh, uh, he, he helped me build this thing, and uh, you know uh, I just. Uh, I kind of wrote up a little thing about this too and, and basically I said uh, while I was able to pull off this tire fire alone for quite a few years um, it really never got rolling until uh, Stankus came aboard and we started Shoutcast together uh, I may have been the initial creator of the website Puck and Hostel um, but he was an enormous part uh, you know there's a 1A and 1B 
uh, just only because I was around longer and I started it. But he came in and, and, and he provided just as much, you know, content, laughs, uh, tears, whatever during the uh, uh, during the, the time that he was around. Um, the sacrifices that he gave, uh, you know, I again I can't uh, say enough about that. Um, he gave up too much of his free time to provide us with his edgy humor and content, and, uh, and and all this for for the website, you know, for for this website that I started uh, day one, and uh, you know, uh, we've been on the same page. Uh, like I said, I've known him for a long time, and uh, I can't say that about many people. I don't, uh, you know, many people don't know this, but I don't trust many people. And uh, he's one guy that I, you know, that I trust and I consider a friend. Uh, you know, uh, he, he, a lot of people read his Twitter, uh, his, his, his uh, Twitter account and uh, understand that, you know, insomnia and, you know, things like that. Uh, everyone's got their problems and, and uh, you know, everyone hopes that a good guy, he's a good guy. He really is. Uh, with all the harshness and the, the anger that he seems, it's all... You know, for the most part, it's it's a big it's a big act. It is kind of a you know, big teddy bear underneath. Um, so I don't want anyone to think that you know him leaving was anything other than just that he needed a change in his life. And uh, he's always welcome uh, to do to be involved with anything I may be involved with now or in the future. Um, but um, like I said, I just can't thank him enough for all the time he put into what was originally my baby, Puck and Hustle. Uh, so, you know, maybe in the future, he'll find that fire again and uh, yeah, be able to provide something and, and, and make an appearance on the podcast or uh, write an article. But, uh, you know, he's just burnt out. And I, I, and I can't say that there haven't been years when... When I wasn't the glad, when I wasn't glad that the Blackhawks got knocked out in the first round because I needed a break, so uh, you know more power to them. So you know, just uh, I wanted to get that out there, and I you know I I hope you listen to this, uh, Pat. Uh, I love your buddy. Uh, you're like a brother to me. I hope uh, everything works out for you, and uh, don't be a stranger. Uh, you know, let's. Uh, Make an appearance every now and then, because uh, I know uh, people who have been loyal listeners for these three years, and you know, basically ninety something, almost ninety episodes you've done with me. Uh, you know, they they would really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, if, if not that, you know, appearances at games, and go out to Rockford and visit Beth and the crew out there, or you know, maybe maybe you even uh, you know make a trip with us to Columbus or. Uh, something like that so uh, I, I want to tip my hat off to Patrick Stankus I, w- I would like everyone to, to do the same uh, he, you know he, he was a soldier man he was a soldier for me and uh, I really appreciate it so uh, you know this this song's dedicated to him and uh, you know Godspeed Godspeed my friend so uh, take care uh, so wrapping up uh you can find me again on the uh, the Twitters, the Facebook, the Instagram uh, at Puck and Hostel. Uh, you can find Double J, J A. Uh, he's a Jekyll, J A E C K E L. 
the aforementioned Patrick Stankus, uh, Patrick underscore Stankus, please uh, don't harass him. <laughs> he's a he's a good dude. So Twitter does not uh, does not let you know his his personality and what a good guy he really is. So uh, uh, Atomic Froster, uh, you know, follow him too. Uh, PD Norton three, our boy in Kansas, and uh, the at Hawk Shout uh, the at Hawks Shoutcast account. Uh, if you get a chance, rate, uh, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us. Uh, I will read it on the air. Um, I don't really have uh, any more shout-outs. Uh, just uh, like John said, you know, the, the clumsy foreshadowing. Uh, many good things are to come. Um, changes, uh, uh, changes were in motion before Mr. Stankus left, so don't think that uh, it had anything to do with it. But uh, there are going to be changes. But changes for the good, and I think uh, everyone's going to love them. Uh, so I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, have a good Tuesday night. Thanks to everybody for listening and supporting us. Good night, and don't be a meathead. Excuse us, we need to get to bed.